Ciao, mi chiamo El, vivo a New York City, parlo italiano e stai ascoltando The Fluent Show. Welcome to the Fluent Show, a podcast about learning languages and reaching your potential. My name is Kirsten Cable and here on the Fluent Show, we talk about languages, language learning, communication, curiosity and enriching our lives through the challenge of learning something new. Hello listeners, I hope you've had a really nice summer. I hope summer 2021 was better than summer 2020. Mine certainly was. Woohoo! And we're back for another season of the Fluent Show. I've got some really exciting things lined up and I think you're going to enjoy the next batch of episodes. So we're back. It's autumn. The leaves are falling in the northern hemisphere in countries where there's leaves on the trees <laughs> and of course we have got backing for the next season so let's not waste any other time and let me tell you first of all that the next season the full season and that includes this episode is once again sponsored by close master they're on board close master is gamified language learning in an app You've seen it all before, but have you seen Clothesmaster? The app looks like a 1980s video game. Way Space Invaders, if you like that kind of thing, Clothesmaster is for you. What it does is it gives you mass exposure to vocabulary in context, provides you with thousands of sentences in over 50 languages, and what really makes it outstanding is that there are over now 190 languages pairings. So that makes it extremely great if you're not learning one of the what, five, six, seven, eight mainstream languages. The objective of Clothesmaster is it's based on the clothes exercise that's been around for ages and ages and ages. My Welsh teacher calls it Chlenwy Bilchai. And the objective is to fill in the missing word from context. That's all you got to do. And you can play text input or multiple choice sentences grouped by difficulty in order of difficulty. There's fluency fast tracks and you just train your listening skills as well. So if you love practicing with language apps or you're, you're ripe for a new app on your phone, then focus on vocabulary. It's particularly great if you're intermediate. Keep your skills sharp with Clothesmaster and watch my introduction video at Clothesmaster, C-L-O-Z-E-M-A-S-T-E-R.com slash fluent show and for my american i don't know about the canadians do you z or z anyway for my american friends that's c-l-o-z-e-m-a-s-t-e-r.com slash fluent show dig into the app now quick season preview hello if you have never listened before welcome to episode 221 of the fluent show help yourself to something from the archive grab yourself a drink welcome to the party this next season is still a season as in you'll be getting a batch of 10 episodes in your feed on a regular basis but if anything this one's not as themed as we've previously done it's kind of the chill out season it's relaxing chatting i've got lots of friends and fellow podcasters that I've been meaning to bring onto the show for, for years. 
uh, in some cases. And I want to focus on embracing the fact that language and languages are truly a deep part of our lives. You heard earlier that when I read the intro, I'm kind of experimenting with a new intro because I, I want to tell you this story. I recently listened to a podcast called SEO for the rest of us. Now, SEO, most of you hopefully don't need to know. <laughs> it's it's uh, the, the field, I don't want to say science, it's not a science, uh, the field where you learn and experiment with how you can be found by more people on the internet in search engines, so search engine optimization. Uh, so I've listened to this show and it was called SEO for the rest of us. And the first thing the presenter said that really struck a chord with me was, This is a show about SEO, but it's not about SEO. It's not a show about SEO because this is a show about bigger questions like how how information is organized, how we communicate across the web, what, what matters to somebody who is starting a business, who is putting information on the web, hoping for it to be found, how we build relationships, good relationships with our customers. And that resonated with me so much. And I kind of want to take a piece of that because for me, the Fluent Show is about more than language learning. Right? You know how few episodes we have where I talk about vocab or whatever, um, because I want to talk not just about the hinges and brackets and practicalities, but the wider potential. This is a show about the joy of learning, about being curious, ever curious and enriching our lives through challenges. And if that strikes a chord with you and it means something to you in your life beyond languages, I would love to hear from you. You can email me. It's Kirsten, K-E-R-S-T-I-N at fluentlanguage.co.uk. Or if you want to send a voice message or send me something quicker, I am also available on Instagram. You can DM me and my username is K-E-R-S-T-I-N underscore fluent. Now, there won't be a little season preview. There won't be a Top Tools episode this season. Oh, my God. Even though we have the best Top Tools music, right? Let's play it. Top Tools, autumn and winter. Top Tools, spring and summer. Top Tools. Top Tools. Well, we did Ultimate Top Tools earlier this year, so I'm going to pop the ultimate top tools episode if you haven't listened to that check out the really really incredible list of top tools that Lindsay and i have researched tried out and prepared for you look there first like i said there won't be a top tools episode this season but we do have a really interesting tools app and service based discussion that Lindsay and I are preparing that you can look forward to. I also have fabulous guests lined up, including Penny Wilson and my very own Welsh teacher. Oh my God, maybe bilingual. Oh my God. And an expert on Elf. And if you don't know what Elf is, definitely keep listening to The Fluent Show. You will find out. Now, one little announcement I need to make before I tell you about today's guest. And that is that the Patreon for The Fluent Show is now closed. The Fluent Show's Patreon account closed at the end of August 2021. I have been honored and really happy and grateful to receive your support for The Fluent Show during the last two years. If you have been a patron, it's made a difference. It's made my day and it was truly meaningful. Thank you. You really made a difference. The concept of Patreon is still brilliant, is still great, and I support several podcasts myself that I love, but it's just not part of my future vision for the way I work, for the way uh, The Fluent Show and 
my services all sort of fit together. So I decided the Patreon, um, it was one of those things that had to go. I would be happy to try it again for the future, given the right project. And I'm very excited for the next steps. And if you want to support me and you want to try something out, then I urge you don't run, don't walk to fluentlanguage.co.uk slash my courses. That's my dash courses where you can see what I'm actually up to and how you can benefit from working with me. Put that in the show notes as well. Now, today's guest, let's talk about her. Today's guest is Elle Cherise. Elle is herself a podcast host. She is the host of the Speaking Tongues podcast, which recently started and has been super consistently bringing you conversations about all kinds of languages, from French and Portuguese to Kula Gichi. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And just all these, um, really, it's like a journey around the world in a podcast. Elle herself lives in New York City, and she's a true New York City woman, grew up in the Bronx. And in this interview, we talk about what it's like to be growing up in New York, what we have in common, even though she comes from a huge city and I come from a tiny, tiny village, <laughs> and how languages and not just languages, but also we talked about books and we talked about starting a podcast, all fuel our personal sense of escapism and how that makes our lives richer. It's a great, great interview. And I'm just going to hand over straight to Elle. It's like I said, welcome back to The Fluent Show. Let's buckle up for the next season. Can't wait to hear from you what you think about it. And here she is, my friend, fellow podcasting buddy and language lover from across the pond. It's Elle Sharice. Hi, Elle. Hi, Kirsten. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I was just saying before, you know, we were chatting and I said to Elle, this is my first interview back in a few months. So I feel like I'm doing, I feel like I'm having to do the stretches and, you know, like right, limber right. up. <laughs> Get back into it. A groove yeah I know it's good to do it with a with a fellow podcaster who's also used to doing interviews so I feel oh, in good yeah. hands yeah it's going to be a great conversation yes now L, I want to start not by talking about languages but by getting to know you a little bit more uh and talking about you and sort of your unique background uh maybe let's do absolute basics where were you born and where did you grow up so I was born and raised in New York City um, I was physically born in Manhattan, but I grew up and I was raised in the Bronx. And I've been living in Queens, which is another borough in, in New York City, for about six years now. So I'm a New Yorker 100%. Oh my gosh. <laughs> do, you, do you do the thing where you walk across the street and then a, a car has to stop and you go, Hey, I'm walking here. <laughs> I think that's just like a movie thing, but I will say for sure that New Yorkers don't cross at the crosswalk. We just cross when we have the opportunity to cross the street. Sometimes it's like a two lane, one lane, sometimes it's three lanes <laughs> crossing the street. So uh, we're a bit daredevils when it comes to traffic, I think. <laughs> Very much unlike Germans, I would say. Really? Yes. Did you not know? Okay, so how how can you tell there's a German at the what you call crosswalk is that they just stand there until the green man comes on. Okay. I still do that in the UK and everybody looks at me and I'm like, there might be children nearby. <laughs> 
apparently a very German thing. Like you don't cross when there's children nearby because you don't want to set that bad example. Yeah, yeah. What's interesting about that is like observing tourists here in New York City and seeing them wait for the light to change. And <laughs> now it's going to make me wonder how many of them are from Germany visiting our lovely city. <laughs> oh my God. That would, wouldn't that be the most fun statistic of like what nationality crosses the road when yeah. in New York? Yeah. I'm going to get like, on that. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there should be. Yeah. Can you please just stand at like the crossing in Times Square and just sort of watch them all? <laughs> Then go, excuse me, where are you from? <laughs> now, what did, what does, I'm, I'm curious about your New York City, um, because it might not quite be, hey, I'm walking in and sex in the city and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so what did New York City look like to you when you were growing up? That's a really great question. So I grew up in the 80s and 90s and the New York City that I grew up with back then uh, is very different than it looks now. It's very, you know, back then it was dangerous. This was a dangerous city. And more or less, I think the stereotype that people still have about New York City being dangerous or covered in graffiti and gritty and all that kind of stuff, I think that's, some people still have that image, even though it's relatively safe now and especially safe compared to how it was, you know, decades ago. Um, but... Growing up here at that time, it was, I guess, because I was a kid, like I didn't really realize just how like wild it was. <laughs> I'm going to say wild. I think that's a good word to to use for it. All right. Because um, <laughs> um, I don't like to talk bad about New York if I don't have to. So, um, yeah, but it was it was very different. And I think it was. It was it was scary to be honest. It was a it was a scary city to live in, and and there was an a, an element of danger, and um, you know I would say probably for the past twenty years or so it's it's gotten a lot safer. But back then it was exactly more or less what you would see on TV and you know in the movies, and maybe a little exaggerated, but it was you know more or less that. Mm -hmm. Certainly something that you, you hear about in connection with, with New York and like not the only big city in the world, but certainly with New York is this whole concept of gentrification mm. and how it's changed the world. So when you were growing up, was New York to you a multicultural place? To me, it was more like I was aware of the multicultural aspect that the city had. And mm -hmm. I was aware that there were people from all parts of the world. I personally didn't have a lot of exposure to that. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I don't want to use the word segregation lightly, but I think like in most major cities, there are pockets of ethnicities scattered throughout. And with, as I said before, with the element of danger and unfamiliarity and I would say skepticism of the people that were in our city and I feel like maybe everyone was a little wary of places that they felt they didn't belong or they wouldn't sh they weren't really sure if they'd be welcomed I think it was rather difficult to really engage with other communities um, because you just didn't know 
what to expect when you when you got to a certain neighborhood or there was an air of maybe not belonging and i should say for your listeners i'm a black american woman so that's kind of another layer of being black in america being black in new york city um and having in a time like the 80s and 90s having this uh i guess stereotype against you and your people and maybe not feeling like you can move safely throughout the city and so there were probably elements that i was aware of um just because everybody knows about let's say chinatown or everybody knows about little italy but making the effort to go there and you know, not knowing if you would be safe, not knowing if you would be welcome. I think that is, you know, that kind of, at least in my family, I would imagine that that's what kept us away from from those neighborhoods and experiencing those different cultures. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a really interesting perspective. And I think a story that, that we don't really think about. So, and part of it is because obviously we are roughly the same age. We're not going to date ourselves, but we certainly, <laughs> like, we kind of did already, but. <laughs> <laughs> but we're both sort of pre-internet language learners. Let's just say that like pre, or we Perfect. were pre-internet teenagers. Cool. Perfect. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had like those clips in our hair and blue eyeshadow. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> so uh, when I hear about New York, though, like something something I think about is this, you know, when you, especially as a, I'm going to use the term polyglot, like a person with an interest in lots of languages, it's mm-hmm. sort of almost hailed as this like place that is the one of the most multilingual in the world, one of the most multicultural. I'm thinking about this um, number that gets thrown around um, where in the entirety of New York City has a bigger Irish population than Ireland. Mm. That's, I've heard I that. believe, yeah. true. Yeah, which is like, so you, you think of it, I've never been, and I'm from like the middle of nowhere. So I think of it as like, I think sometimes we hear about it as almost the multilingual theme park. You know, mm. oh, oh, this sounds disrespectful and I don't mean it to, but this sort of idea that, okay, you want to practice Hindi, go to New York. You want to practice, I don't know, um, you know, like an Australian indigenous language, go to New York. You want to, you want to practice Portuguese, boom, New York. You want to practice this, boom, New York. You want to practice Yoruba, New York's got your back. And whatever it is, you know, like it's almost presented as, oh, you just got to go. Um, and it's it's a fascinating i think an important perspective as well for you to say i sort of probably knew that in theory but that's not how you thought about it at all mm-hmm. what do you think about that myth i think you know i i definitely agree you know there are over i want to say 700 or maybe 800 languages that are spoken in new york city and you're definitely not going to come here and hear them all at once. There's probably, you know, four or five that you would hear, you know, just walking around the street, not really looking for a a specific, to hear a specific language. So there is that element of that. And I think that's one of the things that really makes New York very special. I think that as far as coming here to practice other languages, that's more of an issue of like being respectful, engaging respectfully Mm -hmm. and, and, wanting to really engage because the thing to remember about a lot of us New Yorkers is that we mind our business. Um, 
we have a reputation, I think, of being unfriendly. And I wouldn't say that New Yorkers are unfriendly, but we definitely mind our business. And by that, I guess I mean, like, it's hard to approach somebody with the assumption that they want to practice a language with you. And someone pointed this out to me a few months ago, and I've been reflecting on it since. And she said, one of my listeners, and she said that it can be triggering for people to be approached um, with the expectation that they want to practice a language with you because there's the likelihood that you may approach someone who looks like they speak a certain language and maybe they don't. And it introduces this concept of otherness. And it's not fair to, I guess, other someone um, mm-hmm. ever, but it's it's not fair to do that just for your own. Amusement is the wrong word. Not to do it for your own uh, edification. So um, I do think that there are ways to come to New York City and as a casual tourist walking around the city, you know, keep your your ears peeled and and you'll definitely hear, uh, you'll hear so much. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I do think that engagement is a different story and, and using it, it's just a matter of like, when to know, uh, you know, read the room, when to know how to engage with someone and when it's appropriate and when, when it's not. So Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I 100% agree with you. And it's a it's a good and important point to make. Another thing I think that it really brings up is like, for someone like me, who's really curious about where people are from, um, I've learned not to just go up to people and exclaim, oh, my God, where are you from? <laughs> because, you know, I want to know because I'm curious. I want to know and I want to know everything like where are you from what do you do there like what do you have for dinner what do you wear like (laughs) all these kind of like banal questions that i'm really curious about but then i realized that if i'm asking out of curiosity and in good faith someone may humor me but then i think of all the other people that they have to encounter who are not asking for that reason they're asking because they want a reason a reason to pigeonhole they want a reason to maybe discriminate or treat them differently so you know like i said new yorkers kind of mind their business so Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people Mm -hmm. that i've met where i'm just like oh i really want to know like where this person's from but you know it's i I don't want to come off as disrespectful so there's there's a lot of tiptoeing (laughs) i think that has to be done and Mm -hmm. and you know and in an in an effort to be respectful. Absolutely. Well said, well said. And uh, important to note that really across cultures, across countries, this carefulness, this consideration, it's it's human kindness. It's really not about any kind of um, whatever a political consideration or whatever the hell people think it might be. Some people, um, it really is about respect and and kind of trying to up the respect um right. and not expect anything from other people so mm-hmm. yeah okay and and th- this kind of this really this is interesting because i think it's almost it's not a disclaimer when you when you say oh go to new york you'll find so many languages there it's just a case of go to new york you will find so many languages there but you know like don't expect them all to be coming 
dancing at you straight away right. and and to be yeah. exactly what it is that you want so there's a level of like discovery that needs to mm -hmm. be advised as well yeah i agree do you think it can be do you think going through food is a is a fairly straightforward way of doing this i must 100 you must have so many cuisines out there <laughs> there are so many there are so many and you know there are some that are more more readily available than others mm -hmm. Um, but you can find a restaurant that represents probably most countries in the world. If you're looking at a list of, you know, 195 countries, at least half of them, if not more, oh um, are represented here. Yeah, so it's really, really, um, it's fun. It's fun. It's, uh... I, I don't even, when I really think, like, I'm smiling right now because I'm thinking about it because <laughs> I love food. But I'm just thinking, like, we're so lucky that we have so many options. And I know there's a lot of talk about authenticity and, you know, what you may find in Japan or Korea or in, you know, Argentina or Morocco or whatever. Um Obviously, you may not find that exact dish here, but you're likely to find an iteration of it. And I think that that's really beautiful because uh, it's it's just so one of a kind. It's so one of a kind. And I imagine London's probably the same, but I'm not. <laughs> I, I can't speak for London because I, I haven't been there in a while. So it's great. The food scene is a great way to to get to know you know, other cultures and, you know, experience it through, you know, in a New York way, in a New York style. <laughs> <laughs> can you name your two or three, can you name two or three favorite restaurants that you like to go to, that you like to order from? You know, I can, but I won't. And the reason why <laughs> is because, not because I refuse, but I'll tell you why. And, and I'm not keeping it a secret, but it's that New York, especially restaurants open and close so quickly. Mm -hmm. And if I say something today, in four months, the place could be gone, or it could be under new ownership. And it's, I know it sounds really bad to say that, but it's true. It's, it's really hard to like, think of something that like, I love, I love, I love. And, you know, I could go there in six months, and it could be you know, empty. Okay. It could be, it could be a bank. It could be a, but I could say, let's censor the names out and say like uh, a Korean restaurant in a street that is big or something. I don't know. Everything's big. There, it's America. <laughs> there is, I, what I could do, I think that would be helpful for anyone who wants to do some eating around town. Um, you know, you mentioned Korean, there are, there is, I went to a really great, like Korean Chinese place on in Koreatown, which is in Midtown on 32nd Street. Um, I was with some uh, South Asian friends. So I don't remember what I had. It was like they order and I just eat <laughs> what they put in front of me. Um, that I know that you know, for Italian food, Italian American food, I'm going to be specific on that. Um, Arthur Avenue in the Bronx has some amazing restaurants, some which have been there for a while, and you know, others that are 
changing and some that are newer than others. Um, Jackson Heights in Queens has a Filipino community. Um, so there's a few Filipino restaurants there. There's a, a South Asian community. Um, so there is Nepalese food. There's all kinds of Indian food from different regions of India, Bangladeshi food. Um, Pakistani food is also out there. I mean, these are the kind of places that people who are from these countries and live here in the U.S. will go to eat. So that's how I always know that, okay, this, I'm on the right path. Yeah, you know this what is I mean? good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Fascinating. And the cuisines and the kind of variety that you have available to you as well, it makes you appreciate the world and the size of the world. And um, I think it's something that motivates us to learn other languages too. But for you personally, Elle, what's one of the earliest memories that you have about wanting to learn another language? Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> well, when I was growing up, um, when I was growing up, my grandmother, my mother's mother traveled a lot and she traveled with her her church group and they went to asia they went all over europe they went to africa um all over the u.s and my grandmother would always come back with these stories just like these things that she saw and experienced and and i was i was very young so i remember just being like wow like i i want to travel the world one day and not that I want to, but that I'm going to travel the world one day. Like, I just knew that this is what I was going to do. And my grandmother would say to me, well, you know, French is the international language and it's the language of, you know, diplomacy. And, you know, if you know French, then you'll be able to get anywhere in the world. You'll be able to talk to anyone. And I remember thinking, like, I have to learn French. Like, I have to learn this language because that's how I'm going to achieve my goal of seeing the world and being able to talk to people. Um, so I remember wanting to learn French from such a young age and to make a long story short, um, you know, my parents really didn't share my enthusiasm about that and they didn't see that it was practical. And so um, I felt discouraged um, mm -hmm. that they didn't want me to, to learn French and I didn't end up actually ever sitting in a French classroom until my senior year of college, the last semester of college, I finally took a French class. Is that and, when you're like um, 22 or something? 21? Yeah, wow. I, was about, I was about 20. So yeah, it was, it was, no, I was 21. Yeah, it was, um, it was a lifetime. It was a long time coming. And, and, you know, I had taken other languages in, you know, in the interim, but I, I didn't actually get the opportunity to come face to face, so to speak with the French language until I was, until I was 21. So, um, but that early, you know, memory of, you know, hearing my grandmother's stories and just making that connection between a language I have to speak and knowing that this is how I'm going to communicate when I travel, I think for a seven, eight year old to put that together is atypical. Like I, 
I don't know where that came from. I don't know. I, like, I don't know how I put it together, but somehow my brain registered that, um, mm-hmm. that I, I need to learn another language in order to move around the world the way that I want to. Mm. I find it fascinating. I reflect, you know, on the things in our childhood that made us want to learn other languages and the, the contact we had with other languages. And I think back to where I'm from, where you'd think you'd hear nothing, except when you look closely, like I'm from a very, very, very small place. You're from a very, 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 very large place in terms <laughs> of population, in terms of how many people mm-hmm. are there. But it sounds like we we both kind of had this sense that there's more to this world and I kind of want to get out mm. there. And I think curiosity sounds like it played a big part of that as well. And yeah. do you think there's also something about being a kid in, in the 80s compared to now? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Because one of the biggest things, like when I was a kid was, well, first of all, like we didn't have screens, so we weren't constantly looking at screens or video content screens didn't and exist, all that kids. kind of they did exist. We didn't. They weren't cave paintings, oh, but in every room, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, we're prehistoric. Um, you know, we didn't have. You know, we didn't have this. This so much access to entertainment, and a lot of the ways that we entertained ourselves was through our imagination. So, you know, one thing that I remember is I had this atlas, this like small book. And it was an atlas for kids and it had like maps of, you know, every different continent. And I remember just reading over the names of the countries and the capitals and and the looking at the flags and all this stuff. And I would just like imagine like, what must it be like there? What, you know, what are people doing? What are they wearing? What are their kids like me who are maybe doing the same yes. thing in, in, in their homes? And I think that it really it really fueled me because I, I, you know, in the eighties, I had no way of knowing that like Venice is a good example. So like my grandmother went to Venice and she came back and she's like, the whole city's on water. And I swear to you, I must've spent years just wondering, like, so as soon as they step out of the door, like, are they going to drown? Like, do they get on a boat? Like I couldn't figure out the mechanics of it. And it, you obviously know, yeah. like there was no way for me to verify because she told me the city's on water and that's what she meant. But to a seven year old, eight year old, I'm just thinking like, how, how, but don't their shoes get wet? And like, do they have cars or how do they walk in it? Like I could not figure it out. And I think that that really was one of the things that sparked my imagination so much, just trying to mentally comprehend what that means, that a city is on water and there's water everywhere. Mm. Um, And so, (laughs) and so, um, you know, I, I, I definitely think that it, if for anyone else who was like us, like that's where our minds went. That's just how we, we, we couldn't help, but to, you know, have a robust imagination trying to understand how the world worked when we really didn't have anyone to explain it to Mm. us. There's something enchanting about that. You know, there's something that makes it, that made, and I remember the sense of sort of wonder um, and how, 
the world is sort of there's magical things out there um and i mean i'm so sad that, that, that like a, some of my images of like the most magical things that have happened in the world was like from adverts from advert i'm not going to go mm. into the Taft advert but if you're german if you know you know <laughs> i was telling Elle this story about this um hairspray advert which i'm going to put in the show notes so you can see it but that for me was like oh woman of the world wow yeah. this is what it can be and that's i think that's still alive i think that still exists even though you can you know it's it's so much easier now that you don't imagine because your our brains i think are much quicker to go um Hey, something assistant, like without even looking, hey, so-and-so, hey, Google <laughs> machine, tell me about this thing. I'm, I'm very much trying to not set any listeners like machines off at, at, at any at listening robots. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think our life experiences that did sort of, at least for me, and it sounds like for you too, there's something escapist about learning languages, which mm, I think is still mm -hmm. true. And it's that we don't... You know, so often we talk about language learning as this utilitarian, like, I just want to like talk to people when I travel, uh, impress my boss, da, 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 da. And um, it also becomes more about the, um, like, a, a lot of it is about mastery and about being good at something and about, you know, like, only mm. doing it correctly. But when you approach it with this, this curiosity, sense of marvel of like, what is this bizarre world? And <laughs> no matter how, like, you can't Google really understanding i don't know like you can't google this like why do the french numbers say why is 80 in french something like 20 what is it 420 yeah why on yeah. earth you, you silly french people <laughs> do it like the belgians <laughs> no not sorted anyway <laughs> no idea what they do in canada but you know like this there's this sort of like mind-blowingness that i appreciate so much about language learning and i think i think it's something that comes with this curiosity and it's it's all wrapped up in the culture and in different foods as well and that magic mm -hmm. it can't it can't really be replaced right right i think about that too and you know saying woman of the world i think is something that basically sums up what i wanted to be when i was like seven <laughs> and you know, eight years old. And I think because, you know, I don't think I had an advert really, but I had my grandmother and I had her pictures of herself. I still have this on my phone. There's a picture of my grandmother uh, on top of a camel. She's like riding a camel in somewhere in North Africa. And I have another picture of her like getting off of a boat in Hong Kong. And well, my grandmother was very put together. So, you know, to me, she was like one of the most glamorous women that not only that I knew, but that I'd ever seen. And so seeing her come back with these pictures and she was that glamorous image that I had, this like fearless woman who could ride a camel in the oh desert my God, and, so good. you know, be on like a, a boat cruise in Hong Kong. And, you know, I think for me, again, as a as a black child, I think that was so powerful because... I didn't have friends who traveled. I didn't have friends who knew people who traveled. And so if I didn't have that from my grandmother, I don't really think that it would have ever dawned, to, dawned on me that I could do this too. Um, and I say this a lot on my show and in my life, you know, representation really matters. I think um, it's important that we see 
people who embody our potential. Um, and I, I think that ever more so for children of color, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because, you know, the world is against us in so many ways and any positive examples and anything that stretches our limitations, I think that is invaluable. Um, and so that, you know, that was my woman of the world. And I was like, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna have lunch in Singapore and dinner in Rome. And I just knew that I was gonna, (laughs) it's gonna be all over the place. (laughs) Oh, don't laugh at that. I love that. I love that. Your grandmother sounds like an, I don't have the words. She sounds like an icon. Yeah, she was. She definitely was. She, she was wonderful. Oh, how amazing. And you're, you're so right to have that role model, to have that one person, you know, who, who shows you, kind of shows you the way without really saying this is the way. They're just showing you kind of what direction mm-hmm. you want to go. That is, that is important and that is really powerful. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes it's a teacher, sometimes it's a family member, sometimes it's, I guess, someone that we see <laughs> in an advert. <laughs> In an advert, yeah. Oh my god! And I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, the adverts—they did have power over over me too. I mean, that's what you know. That's what adverts yeah. do. You know. I guess this is also very kids of the eighties because you know people don't watch TV like that anymore. That's oh. true. Yeah. Good. Good on you all. Good. Well done. <laughs> you got over that one. Now, El, you're on the record as a total bookworm as well and you I remember you shared a host of translated book recommendations in your incredible presentation at the women in language conference this year where you kind of pulled this together and you've already we've already spoken about curiosity and escapism what is it to what is it for you that reading brings into the mix there I think that those things um you know escapism is a heavy part of it. And I've been reflecting on this, like, why do I feel the need to always have a book going? And maybe that's a different conversation for a therapy podcast. But I feel like, um, you know, this desire of, you know, books are, books are wonderful, because they can transport you to different places, and they can put you in the shoes of another person. So I think that for someone who for someone who is curious like me, like you, like someone who just wants to know what it's like, I think that's the next best thing. The only thing, really. Um, we don't have the power to walk in someone else's shoes, but um, I think a, a, a well-written book just has such a transformative hold. Um, and, I, and I think even the poorly written ones do too, but in a different way. <laughs> um, it's <laughs> It's... It's, how can I say, um, having the opportunity to, to try and understand another situation or to try and relate to another situation. I think it, you know, for me, it's a way of practicing empathy mm-hmm. as well. Um, and I, I do think that I am a very empathetic person and I've, I've always really you know, I wasn't the best student. I wasn't a terrible student. I wasn't failing, but I wasn't on the dean's list or anything. But for me, reading was just a way for me to learn. Um, and I, I'll read anything. It's I don't just read fiction or or you know articles and things like I'll read pretty much anything you put in front of me. 
And I think that's really great because it's it's expanded my mind. It's allowed me to understand and and have, you know, a greater empathy for other people in this world and and the closest that I can personally get to a lot of places in this world is through a book. Mm-hmm. And this do you find there's a difference between say if you were to watch um, a TV show set filmed in, let's say, Spain. So you're watching La Casa del Papel, um, which is Madrid, I think, um, compared to reading yeah. a, a book, a story set in Spain written by somebody Spanish. Mm-hmm. I think it depends on the show, but I think books, descriptive language, I think can really transport you in a way that the tel- that a television or movies can't. And I think the reason why is because if you're watching a show on Netflix uh, or you're watching a movie, you're seeing someone else's vision and you're understanding things the way that the director and the DP want you to, to understand things. But when you're reading a book, you build these worlds out mm-hmm. of your mind. Um, the author's telling you, the colors or they're telling you the smells and the sounds and you can really only build that up based on what what your mind wants wants to make out of it and so i think the experience is maybe more authentic when you're reading a book because it's something that you draw up for yourself and like how many times have you read a book and said oh this would make a great movie and then you go see the movie and you're like oh, well, I thought the main character should have been played by so-and-so because, you know, he or she looks more like the character that I imagined in my head. Or, you know, like, oh, why did they put that character in that dress? Because in the book, the dress didn't seem like it. So, you know, it's it's a different interpretation. Um, So I, I definitely think that the book is more of a transformative or, you know, um, experience um in getting to know a different Mm. place would you recommend reading translated literature so something written in non-english that is translated into english which is a is a small market as part of the market share in english-speaking countries would you recommend that Mm -hmm. to somebody who is learning a language because i feel that people might say well that doesn't help me learn a language Mm. i think it's worth a try I think that so what I learned from doing my presentation at Women in Language about translated literature is that they're not all created equally. And so what I think is really powerful in reading translated work is that you have the ability to get close to the language and not close enough so that you're actually reading in it, but you have someone who's already conveyed Mm. the cultural nuances in a way that you would understand. Mm. So it gives you a bit of perspective, I think. Um, I think that if you're a more advanced learner, I think it's great because you do have the opportunity to, especially if it's a book that you've read over and over again, like you have a chance to read them side by side. Um, I've had more than a few people mention Harry Potter, reading Harry Potter. Um, and I think everybody does that, right? Like everybody reads Harry Potter in 
the most obscure languages that they can find and in their target languages. And I think that we all know the story and people who are true Potterheads, they know the story inside and out. So if you're, if you're studying your language and you, you, you're at that level where you're ready to make the attempts uh, to, to read a novel, it can be helpful when you already know the story as well. Um, so I, I do think that it can be valuable. I think the disadvantage of it is that not all translations are created equally, and sometimes translations can be a little awkward and they can feel a little bit clunky um, to where you just, there are books that I've read that have been translated. And even though I don't speak the original language, I'm thinking, I wouldn't say it like that. That's not right. And it leaves me wondering, like, what did the author actually say? Because I bet that there's a better mm -hmm, way mm -hmm, to say mm -hmm. this. So it, it really does depend. And, you know, luckily there are so many wonderful translators out there who maybe work with the same authors. I think sometimes the translation can add as well. And like you say, if you're a, um, if somebody is a language learner, I think especially at the early stages, I think people sometimes overestimate what they're able to achieve with their, their reading levels and, and make it, yeah. like, then it's work. Then it's work reading in your target language. Mm. Whereas what you can achieve when you're reading the translated literature is a deep entry into that into that world and you're supporting authors from that country which is valid valuable in this world without having to worry whether you're good enough and i think there is something there that is incredibly right. incredibly valuable now l yeah um i want to of course mention and celebrate the fact that you're also a podcast host and you host a podcast about language and culture <laughs> i'm going to call it the speaking tongues podcast yeah. so what is it that you create for your listeners with Speaking Tongues over there? So Speaking Tongues is a podcast. It's a conversational podcast, much like this, where we're chatting and just talking about talking with multilingual people about the languages that they speak and the languages that they've learned and have familiarity with. And I like to talk a lot about culture, too, because I've as I've said several times, I'm just so curious and I always want to know. But I also don't think that language is necessarily inextricable from culture. So it feels good to have them wrapped up and tied together. Um, I started this show because I have been struggling with French language and less struggling less with Italian. I also speak Italian. Um, and I just started feeling like why am I the only one who's struggling? Like, why don't I, why don't I have this down already? And I started to think, well, you know, there's, there's probably other people who are going through what I'm going through, or maybe there are people who have found success and I want to find them. I want to talk with them. I want to learn about what they know. I want to learn about, you know, what, what they've gone through and, and try to share experiences. And that was my, you know, initial thought. And I think the show has moved away from that a little bit. And it's a little bit more just like riffing about language and just, you know, taking the chance to learn from other people about the language itself and less about the methodology and more about how they apply their languages and, and, you know, into their, into their daily lives. And so that's what we talk about on the show. And 
and it's been great. I think it's been about a year and a half or so <laughs> that I've been doing the show and and that's what we do. We talk about and and we always I don't want to say always, but a lot of times we end up talking about food at some <laughs> point. So <laughs> it's it's I've said this on a few episodes like it's it's very quickly becoming a food podcast. So I don't <laughs> I don't know where to where to uh where to go with that but we, oh we talk God, about I love everything. it I was one of the questions I had so my last question for you I think um, I'm going to stick with my last questions I wanted to ask what's next for the speaking tongues podcast uh but I'm just going to strongly suggest you call it the woman in the world woman of the world podcast because that would be amazing woman <gasps> of the world El Cherise, I love oh, it. Yeah, me too. I like that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> now, um, to finish us off, if you could change one thing about language learning in your life, what would it be? One thing about language learning in my life, what would it be? Um, this is something that I'm working on and I have been working on for, I don't know, since I started the show, really. Um, I struggled a lot with feeling confident speaking my languages and always feeling afraid to talk to native speakers and afraid to express myself, particularly with French, less so with Italian. But I, that's been like the mission that I've been on for this whole time that I've been doing the show, just kind of, you know, in my personal life. And just, you know, if I could change something, it would just be like, I'd have just like this magical cloak of confidence <laughs> to <laughs> to not feel like um you know I'm making mistakes I'm saying the wrong thing or I'm using a, a slang that like nobody uses anymore and I sound like you know like an old lady like I just I think that would be the biggest thing I would just um I would snap my fingers and I would be the most confident French and Italian speaker that I could be something I'm sure <laughs> more than one listener out there is going to be able to really, really relate to. El, thank you so much for your time, for coming to talk. It's been a pleasure. I appreciated so much hearing about New York and hearing about New York City from a different perspective, actually, than than we normally hear about it. Um, and kind of an insider's perspective, but not sort of an insider, I'm so cool, but a genuine insider's perspective i really really loved it thank you so much now uh listeners if you want to find more about l of course she's got a profile here on the fluent show website and you can find the speaking tongues podcast maybe one day it'll be the woman of the world podcast never mind <laughs> Speaking Dogs podcast, <laughs> wherever you found this podcast, really. Elle, is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience? I would first like to say thank you for having me for this conversation. And if you don't mind, I would love to just tell your audience that about two years ago, um, I was at a job at my desk that I absolutely did not want to be sitting there listening. I did not want to be sitting there working. And I found The Fluent Show in my podcast rotation. And I started listening to The Fluent Show and listening to Kirsten. And she was one of the people that got me through my horrific days in the office. And I would think about, you know, I would listen to her episodes so much. And so having this chance to sit and chat with you is really a full circle moment for me. And 
I'm so happy that you invited me to come and talk on the show. And I'm so grateful for for this opportunity and for your wow. friendship. Wow. Oh my gosh. This is, I have so many thoughts right now, including someone listened to me in a New York office. How bizarre is that? Right. And uh, it's so <laughs> wonderful to hear that the show had such an impact on you. Uh, it makes, it makes a lot of, you know, I know podcasting is a lot of work and it makes it worthwhile to hear stories like yours. So thank you. I hope, I hope it didn't um, give you any really bad ideas. <laughs> Um, but it gave you one great idea, which is starting your own podcast. And I'm very, very grateful for that and grateful for your time today. So absolute light love fest. Thank you so much. <laughs> Listeners, <laughs> that's it from me and from El Cheris. And you know, we sign off in only one way on The Fluent Show. And it is goodbye from me and then goodbye from my guest in whichever language she chooses. So with no more advanced warning than that, L. It is goodbye from me, goodbye, and goodbye from El Cherise. Auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to The Fluent Show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting the show by leaving a review in your podcast app or even becoming a member of our Patreon community where our supporter perks include a secret feed full of added show notes and a VIP option where you can get priority answers to your listener questions on the podcast. Don't forget that you can send us your language questions and feedback to hello at fluentlanguage.co.uk or find us on Twitter at The Fluent Show or Instagram hashtag The Fluent Show. We're always so excited to hear from you and read every message and review. See you next time.